Manscaped.com for those fellows that are reaching down there during the game, halftime. I know mine kind of gets to the point in the second quarter where I just need some comfort. You're reaching down, you feel a little bit of weeds. Why not get the Weed Whacker package from Manscaped.com? Use the promo code TEXANS. All right, guys, welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Sorry we're a little bit late. I'm James, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host again for the second week in a row, filling in for John as he has his second baby, uh, Texans Thoughts, a.k.a. Jordan, or Jordan, a.k.a. Texans underscore thoughts on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Houston FP, FB Pod Guy. You can follow John at John A. Wade 3. You can follow Patrick Storm at Patrick Storm TU, and you can follow Jair at Jair Sports TU. Uh, Jordan, what is going on, dude? I'm doing great. I just wolfed down a pizza in like two minutes. It was it was horrible, but it was amazing. It was less than that. Oh yeah, you, you saw you saw. You me. killed it, bro. <laughs> but I'm excited to talk Texans, even though you know we're coming off a, a loss. You know, I think there's a lot of positives to take away, and and with the news today, there's a lot for us to talk about and get excited about. So I'm ready. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, I, I think these losses have become a lot easier to swallow just because of like where we're at in the season, interim head coach, you know, young guys, some young guys playing, um, and just like it's just like what 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 kind of expectations should we really have moving forward? So while the loss sucks, and like the the biggest thing that left imprinted in my mind was just watching Deshaun Watson at the end of the game sit. At, at the end of the bench um, and put a towel over his head and you could see he was disturbed and it was really cool to see Tim Kelly like stay there and like mm-hmm. like if you watch the video like Tim Kelly's there he's like patting him on the back and like talking to him like you could see he cares that that's great um, but that was like the old, that was like the biggest thing that left me in my mind this weekend and kind of what inspired me to write that article that we wrote together was more it's like God like Deshaun cares so much. It hurts, you know. He he cares more than anybody on that field, and it, I don't understand why nobody else can care to the point that Deshaun does. Yeah, I think when you're a professional football player, for for a proportion of the league, you know, it's it's a job for them. You know, it's a, it's a great way to make money. Like you're living out your dream. Like great, you're getting paid to go play football. Like how could you not love that? But there's some guys who are just wired differently. And Deshaun is most definitely one of those guys where this isn't just a job to him. This is a passion, and this is everything, and he's going to put every last effort of his soul into it. And so you can you really see that on the field, but you also really see that in, in his emotions too, and, and, and I'm with you. Like That's definitely an image that, that should resonate with all fans and should resonate with Cal, which is also something you said. Like He's, he's got he's to write the ship because we have our leader. We have our face of the franchise. And we just got to put everything else around him, and, and we'll be good from there. Yeah, I think, you know, at this point, in the, like the expectations for the season definitely, you know, have gone down. Uh, but it, it's nice that, you know, a lot of teams when they're in this situation don't have a positive. Like when you look at when coaches are fired and a new regime comes in, there's usually a, a, like a, it's you're searching through – trying to find positives and you really can't find them because you don't have a quarterback, you know, and you, maybe you have a running back, but you have a bad offensive line and you don't have a quarterback or your defense is bad and all these other things. Like there's always, there's always a ton of issues. But then when you look at the Texans, it's like, it's, it's very easy to not be discouraged about where this Texans team can be because you have Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Like he was incredible again on Sunday. I mean, just incredible, bro. Like, you know, it's funny because, like, we – I've always been very critical of him and people have always called me a hater and telling me that, I, you know, I don't like Deshaun or I don't appreciate Deshaun. And it's not even that. It's just I expect so much from him because he's that freaking good. And that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And he does the same thing. Like, when you have a superstar like that, this isn't the James Harden treatment, okay? We're not going to be like, oh, it was great that you got us this far, pat on the back, okay? That's not how I play. That's not how you play. Like, it's – you're going to you're gonna have to look and see how he can get better. And this year what I'm seeing is everything that I've wanted him to get better at, he's gotten better at. He's, he's a leader. And, you know, it sucks that he had to feel that way about, after a loss. But at the end of the day, I'm sure in his mind he knows that even that win really likely would not have meant much except for the fact that he's a winner and he hates losing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think to your point, like he he played a hell of a game uh, versus the Colts, and it was really, especially that first half, it might have been the best first half of, of his entire career. I mean, yeah. he was unstoppable. Surgical, bro. Surgical, exactly. And and to your point about him him improving on everything that we wanted him to improve on, that we talked over the offseason, like, you know, maybe he can throw with better anticipation. That was kind of that was kind of your your big thing, right? And and he's really really shown that he fully has a grasp of being able to do that, being able to read not only read where a defense is pre snap, post snap, but then also like four or five seconds later into the play where the guys are going to be, where his guys are going to be, and, and it's like he can see into the future at this point. That's what it really feels like with his anticipation, and so I think you know. Being able to see all that, being able to see his ability to elevate talent around him, like against an elite defense too. Like we got to talk about the competition he was going up against. This yeah. wasn't just the Pats defense anymore. It's the Lions, the Jags, the Titans defense anymore. This is a top five defense that we talked about was going to be the big test for him. And not only did he do it, but he did it without Fuller, without Cobb, and without Cooks for part of the game too. And yep. I'm sure we'll get into the to the new wide receivers later, but that was this was like the most one of the most like pivotal and important games um, for Deshaun Watson this this his entire career for me it really showed who he is um, even against an elite defense. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing to take away from the game outside of like his performance against the top five defense, it was more of his performance against the Colts because when you look at his performances against the Colts in the past, he's never really had that you know that big game right like he's never had the game where it's like you should win because Deshaun was Deshaun. Like, usually he struggles. Eberflus is very good at disguising coverages and confusing quarterbacks. And, and he's gotten into Deshaun's head a couple times, not just the wild card, but also in the regular season. You know, you like that, what, the 0-4 season? Like, we basically won because Frank Reich went for it on, like, fourth and yeah. one. Um, so there's just so many different, like, things about this that are, are very positive. And the biggest thing is is that you're going to be likely going up against – that Colts team and that Colts defense for the next couple of years. And it looked on Sunday as if Deshaun Watson figured out that defense and was able to pick them apart. And it's funny because not until, but maybe three hours ago when I was watching the all 22, it kind of clicked in my head. Was this a game where, and I'll let you answer this because you're just as good on the X's O's and I, and I love when you, you talk it, but is this the one game this season where you can point to, like, you can point to every game, but this is the one game where I can point to him and be like, without DeAndre Hopkins, this team is better against the Colts. And the reason why I say that is because he's not having to force himself to go to DeAndre. So when you're playing a defense like that and you're thinking about going to your number one guy, it kind of makes it difficult, especially if he's double covered or they're just disguising the coverages. But when you have five guys on the field that you can go through your reads a little bit quicker and start to hit the open guy, it seems to make Deshaun's job a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I, I hear you out. I hear you for sure. And, I, and I'm with you on the sentiment that um, Deshaun has, has really taken that next leap without Hopkins, especially from a progression standpoint. And I think this, to to speak to your point about the Colts in particular, like, their zone defense scheme, like you said, has killed us over the years. And what it does is it it forces the quarterback to make quick decisions, quick reads, because their linebackers are not normal linebackers. Right. They are fast in their coverages. And so they'll be in zone, but they'll be in it'll seem like they're in three places at once. Yep. And so for Deshaun earlier in his career where he's gonna stare down Hopkins for a little bit, it might take him some time to get to his second and third reads. You can't have that versus this fast of a zone coverage team. You can't, and so I, I feel you for sure. Um, I think it was it was a perfect example of how how dangerous a quarterback in an offense can be when every weapon is kind of treated as a wide receiver one in the fact in the sense where you don't know where he's going to go to, right? And so he's he's literally scanning. I've never seen him scan the field this well. I think that's the biggest thing that he has improved on is he will literally go from sideline to sideline with these reads. Like it is crazy. Um, and yeah, that, that was definitely a big positive as well. Yeah. You know, and, and just to be clear, it, I, I'm not trying to say that DeAndre Hopkins isn't great or anything of that mm-hmm. nature. It, it's more of the fact that, he, you know, when you have a number one, your idea is to get them involved. It's not like they're, it, it's not about him being a diva or asking to be involved. It's just part of the offense. It's part of the game plan. When you have that type of guy, you utilize them and, um, when you don't have that type of guy and you have Chad Hansen and you have 
Kiki Cutie and Brandon Cooks and these guys out on the field, it just it makes things a little bit easier. So with that, I think it's a great segue into Chad Hansen, uh, Kiki Cutie. Uh, breakout game for Kiki QT for sure. I, I want to say a breakout game for Chad Hansen because the way that he played wide receiver for us on Sunday was exactly the type of wide receiver this team has been missing all season. Somebody who's willing to go out, make the catch, not worry about getting hit, um, and just a, a very good route runner, which oh yeah, uh, that, that was the part that surprised me the most. I, I had no idea. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him. Um, but he ran some crisp routes, but his attentiveness, you know, on that tip play. Um, and then, you know, the two big catches, at least in my mind, and it's not like in the sense of, you know, uh, what they accomplished on the field. It was just the catches themselves across the middle on posts, basically going up, grabbing the ball and getting hit straight square into the ribs and coming down with the ball both times. Yeah, I think he, like you said, like he brings an element in the skill set that we needed. Like we, we've seen what this all speed guy, kind of smaller guys can do and, and it's dangerous, but as an NFL offense, you need to be able to throw defenses different, different punches, basically. And at 6'2, you know, he's, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the quickest guy. And with his routes, like he's, he's real surgical with them and he's real physical with them. And you pair that with his contested catch ability and you, you've got, a very good kind of mold of a player to work with. And like you said, like his, his route running is really great. I was really surprised when I watched it last night. Um, he, he does very good to, to kind of get right up into the cornerback, get into his space, get into his face, and then he'll push off. He's kind of got that DeAndre Hopkins little subtle push off at the stem. I'm not saying he's DeAndre Hopkins, but that's how he likes to win with his routes. And so I was really encouraged to see that. Yes, it's just one game. Yes, it's a small sample size, but we're going to see he's I'm pretty sure he's going to play these next these last few games of the season and we'll get a bigger sample size of that and if he can become a viable wide receiver 3 wide receiver 4 option that gives us um great flexibility to do whatever we need to with Cooks or Cobb whether it's restructure whether it's trade whether it's cut it gives us number 1 it gives us like more leverage because you're you talk to a guy like Brandon Cooks and you say like hey yeah we we like you we like what you've done for us but maybe not at your price tag. If we can work out a restructure, that'd be great. And he's going to counter back and say, well, well, what if I don't want to work out a restructure? What are you guys going to do? And then we can say, hey, we got Chad Hansen. We believe in, in him. Deshaun believes in him. And so, you know what I mean? So I think he's, uh, it's just having more talented wide receivers, it, it can never be a problem. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see what how we use Chad moving forward because, uh, we do need a guy like that, and it also just gives you something to build on in the future. I think one thing that needs to be talked about a little bit more in regards to Chad Hansen is who he did it against uh, and what defense he did it against. It's not like he went out against the Lions, uh, the Patriots. You know, he, he went out against, like he said at the beginning of the show, a top-five defense and performed. I mean, this was the first game all season that we had two wide receivers over 100 yards. And I believe if Cooks would have been playing, there was a good chance that we might have actually had three wide receivers at 100 yards. Um, so it, it just speaks to who he is. Now let's also talk about the other guy, uh, the you know the guy that's been in the doghouse, hasn't given been given the opportunity. And you and I both, I think, had our reasons as to why we also believed that there was you know why he was there, uh, and, and a lot of it inside the locker room as well. It's just that he he didn't work as hard or. Uh, he had a, a an attitude about a lot of different things uh, and really wasn't team-oriented. And now we're seeing once Bill O'Brien goes, and it happens in life, when you when you have a negative detractor uh, uh, eliminated from your life, things start, start to trend upwards. And the coaching staff is giving him a chance, and Kiki QT really had what we expected a Kiki QT. To look like and how he should be involved in the offense of what he should have been doing from, you know, the first year he was drafted, yeah. and we saw it that year, but then we haven't seen it since. So it was very exciting to see what Kiki was doing. I'm so glad that he was a part of the the offense. I'm so glad that Deshaun trusts him and, and Chad Hansen too. Um, uh, is this what we should expect? Is this how we're going to see Kiki? And let me also ask you this: with Chad and Kiki. And Cooks and Cobb, if we can't keep Fuller, is there a reason to freak out next season about this wide receiving core if it was just 
those four and Coulter. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll touch on QT first. Um, and with him, the the main thing that surprised me, and not surprised me, but that that was um, encouraging to watch is his kind of route awareness and understanding of the defense and reading the defense, really. Because we talk a lot about quarterbacks reading a defense, but wide receivers have to as well. And apart from some of the off-field issues that you talked about, my biggest issue with QT was kind of his, his lack of understanding of the offense, where to be, where to run the route, right routes, and that showed up a lot, and especially with versus blitzes and stuff like that. And this game, he really showed, even versus the Colts' nickel blitzes, he could get open, and he understood. There was a lot of times where basically the, the nickel defender, they would be coming blitzing from, say, Deshaun's left. And then the QT would be on his right in the slot, and the because the blitz is coming from the left, they would send the defensive end from the right opposite to the blitz, he would drop off into a, a hook zone, basically. And he would be the guy essentially responsible for QT, and QT would be running a hitch, and basically he'd be right where that defensive end is going to be. But he wouldn't just stand there. He wouldn't just wait and be covered. QT would actually work to get open and give it to Sean Lane, and that was very encouraging for me to see. I think he's kind of t- piecing everything together, and I, I'm very encouraged. Is it is this what we should have seen all along? I think so, but to an extent, like, he's a young player. He's got to learn these little nuances of the game. So some of it I'm going to chalk up to development. Um, then your question was, if we can't retain Fuller, are we okay with these kind of five guys? Um, I don't think we should. It's not like a panic type of thing where we have to um, try everything we can to possibly to get a wide receiver one. But there is a value in having such a special guy like Fuller. I don't really want... Cooks to be thrown into that wide receiver one role. I think what Fuller and Deshaun can do is special and is very hard to find. And I think that's obviously plan A. Um, but plan B, like if this is what has to happen, if we want to save some money on Fuller, if we want to spend it on the defense, you could be in a worse position because Deshaun will still elevate all of their games. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I definitely think you still want, look, ideally we want Fuller on this team no matter, no matter what. Um, he just opens the offense up in a way. Uh, but I think on Sunday, what I walked away from thinking was it's really not going to matter who's on the field. Um, as long as they have chemistry uh, and, and the scheme fits, Deshaun's going to be able to get the ball to these guys. So I think that was really the biggest thing for me. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I wonder, would would he have been able to do this with DeAndre here? Um, you know, spread the ball around the way that he has. My biggest disappointment with Sunday was just the lack of involvement from the tight ends, um, the lack of targets for the tight ends. And, and it's more of just a personal thing for me. I mean, they, they did what they needed to do. They, they were in a position to win, so you really can't complain too much. But I would have liked to have seen, you know, Aikens, you know, involved more. We've seen times where he's super involved, and then we've seen a lot of games where it's like this past Sunday, two or three targets, yeah. uh, not a lot of options. Most of them are dump-offs. Um, so I'd like to see him, you know, involved a little bit more. But overall, I think the offense, you know, David Johnson didn't look terrible um, based on what we've seen in the past. He wasn't great, but he wasn't as bad as what we've seen. Um, and they, they abandoned the run game again. Um, what else do you have on the offense? Um, I guess just the only other thing to talk about is the offensive line, really. Oh, and yeah. how, you know, it's it's been the theme of the entire year, how the tackles are great but the interior lets us down. And watching the film on it, there is no no reason to be rotating Max Sharping out of the lineup like this. He was the only one of the three, of the four, I guess, between him, Calamente, Martin, and Fulton. He was the only one who even stood half of a chance against DeForest Buckner. Everyone yeah. else just got ran through like they were a pylon. It didn't matter. Two seconds and he's at Deshaun Watson. Sharping, at least he put up a fight. At least he would hold him to... To cut to wait like three or four seconds before Buckner got to to Watson, and I think they're just doing the same thing that they did with Roger Johnson and Chris Clark rotating them at right tackle, and it's just not the way. And and now we see that Roger Johnson he filled in at left tackle for Laramie Tunsil that game. He looks good, and so it's clearly it wasn't like a talent issue then with Roger Johnson, and I don't think it's that much of a talent issue with Sharping right now. Yes, he's making a mistake or two in the games, especially early for whatever the reason, but you have to let him work it out in the game and improve within the game. That's the only way he's going to do it. And I think they're 
they're really messing with him. And I hope Mike Devlin, who Romeo Cornell, whoever the hell is doing that, I think it's Devlin, but I hope they stop that. That's that's my big thing for the one. Yeah, and, and it's funny because you know, while he, he any every anybody and everybody's going to struggle with DeForest Buckner, it's just the way it works. There's there's nothing you can do. Uh, DeForest Buckner is a is a challenge no matter who you are on the interior. But there were even a couple snaps where Sharping held him in place, you know, and that nobody else even came close to doing that um, on on film. I mean, they there everybody was struggling. Nick Martin, my God, like. He got tossed like a rag doll. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would agree. This interior of this offensive line, you know, I really wish we would have traded Nick Martin to Philadelphia. I don't understand why we didn't. He's not very good. You know, I, I'd, I'd much rather see Fulton at center next year and, and find a trade partner for Nick Martin as it just makes the most sense. I mean, Fulton was the – I think he was a top four rated center the year that we signed him when he was with Kansas City. Um, I really thought there was a chance that we were going to do it originally because Nick Martin was always hurt. But, yeah, they, they need to figure out the interior of that offensive line. It's really, really hard to get a ground game going, no matter what the scheme is, if your interior can't hold up. The, the, it's Definitely. just impossible to do. Yeah, and I think um, with the run game, like <sighs> – there's a, there's a lot of things that need to get better. Like I think just one running back isn't isn't gonna oh. fix everything. You know, we could go out and get a new flashy name, and, and everyone's gonna be hyped up about them. But there are there's I don't know if there's one running back who can run behind this line and, and get the average yards per carry. Like it's it's really rough. Um, but yeah, the other thing with the interior offensive line, like. It's crazy how much pressure they gave up, and Deshaun Watson is still able to do what he did. He was constantly running for his life. This was his best game of, I kind of call it like controlled chaos, because like sometimes his scrambling, especially early early in his career, it looked chaotic, right? And that's how most young kind of mobile quarterbacks look like. They look like they're kind of just going to run at first sight of pressure. But Deshaun has really gotten to the level where he he knows when the pressure is going to come. He can anticipate it. He knows the angles, how to escape, when to escape, and how to still keep his eyes downfield. And, and that's what really amazed me. Is despite all the pressure, it didn't matter. and He still got the job done. Yeah, I mean, he really is a magician out there. It's really insane. I love how when he is escaping and moving, he just keeps his eyes downfield. It's yep. insane to me how he is able to do that. You know, a lot of people, they label him as a running quarterback, and he's just so not a running quarterback in any form or fashion. He can run, but he's he's not. You know, quick question, Jordan. Do you think, as much as we hate Bill O'Brien and for what he's done to the franchise and how he's handicapped us and things of that nature, do you think because Bill O'Brien is who he is, Deshaun did become a better pocket quarterback then he may have had there have been another coach. Does Bill O'Brien deserve some credit for the development as a pocket quarterback? It's hard to tell because I see where you're coming from. Like if you put a if you ask a quarterback to be in this situation where he has to work on passing from the pocket, if you consistently ask him to do that, get reps on that yeah, he, he's going to try and improve because you have a guy like Watson who's going to put in the work and time and effort. So I guess that's kind of in a way where he influenced his, his career arc. Um, but I think the real like fundamental improvements that count, come from that don't really come from Bill O'Brien's coaching. It comes from Quincy Avery and, and other quarterback coaches that Deshaun has worked with. Um, but I guess you could say that Bill O'Brien played a part in that. Yeah, I'm just, you know, because when he came out and the way he was profiled was was a runner. And then when when he was drafted and after his you know second season, a lot of people, fans, media were, were asking for Bill O'Brien to let Deshaun be Deshaun, use him on more designed runs, things of that nature. And, and Bill O'Brien steered clear of doing that stuff. I guess that's what I mean specifically. I don't mean in the sense of uh, definitely Quincy is the answer, uh, you know, for sure. And if anybody's wondering, you guys should go to quarterback takeover and grab you guys a Quincy Avery uh, hoodie. Um, they're really dope. Um, but um, I just wonder if that if that part helped Deshaun's development as a quarterback 
more than what we accredit it to. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess there's a part of it, and I think a lot of people say that Bill O'Brien's offense was kind of tailored to a Tom Brady type. And not necessarily every quarterback has to, to be a Tom Brady type to succeed, but we're seeing now that this is how, like, Deshaun is, is very, very good in the pocket. And so, you know, I, I guess maybe it's more revisionist history because we have seen that it worked out for Deshaun. Because if, if Bill O'Brien was forced him to be a pocket quarterback and, and he never improved on it, then of course, of course, we're never going to say this, these things that, oh, maybe Bill O'Brien deserves some credit. Um, but, Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying that I do yeah. or I don't. I just it, it's I've seen it around a little bit on Twitter, um, and it just made me you know think you know I wonder if there's any 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 evidence of that. Uh, all right, so let's get to the defense. Um, look, the defense lacks talent overall. Uh, they lost Bradley Roby, and I really thought that the defense was going to go out here and lay a massive egg against this this team. And not that this offense is – like, not that the Colts' offense is a scary juggernaut offense with Phillip Rivers at the helm, but it's more of Frank Reich uh, and just their ability to scheme players open, you know, solid run game, not like top ten, but they're able to get yards on the ground when they need to. Uh, different styles of running back between Naeem Hines, uh, Wilkins, and Jonathan Taylor. And – for the most part, I would say that this defense exceeded my expectations with their performance on Sunday. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I actually thought they had one of the better games of their season. Um, really quick, I, I'm surprised they actually didn't use Naheem Hines more versus our linebackers because he's killed us a lot in the past. But kind of talking about the, the formula of why we had such a successful defense and and particularly in the second half is they were able to consistently get negative create negative plays on early downs on first down jj watt was tearing it up with tackle for losses um charles omenu had one as well and those negative plays when you when you're going up against an offense like the colts who like you said they're not the the biggest like highest firepower offense they rely on kind of getting those three four yards on first down with their runs or with their quick passes. And so when you get them off their script, when they're in the second and longs that turn into third and longs, that's when you can really, that's when you're really at an advantage. And that's when we saw um, Anthony Weaver could really just dial up his blitzes. You know, all season we haven't been able to see him blitz as much as he wants to because we're never in these third and long situations because our run defense has not been great. And so now we're finally getting that chance and, and Weaver will show it that he knows how to scheme up, scheme it up. He's schemed up AJ Moore um, very well uh, this game. I think I forget who else had a blitz. I don't think I think it was it actually, but yeah, I lo- it was Zach Cunningham. That's who it was. Cunningham's been getting involved more in the, in the blitz game, and and he killed a running back on on one of those plays. I forget Ooh. who it was exactly, but that was disgusting. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the formula of what I saw. Yeah, I just I, the aggressiveness, and you know, we talked about it last week. Just the exotic, all the stuff that we heard in the off season. Start. It looks like it's starting to come to fruition, uh, whether it's the aggressive blitzes um, or everything else that Anthony Weaver's doing. It looks like the D-line is learning how to play a little bit more disciplined and staying in their gaps, which is, is you know, we, we've said it. We've been screaming since week one that that's, that's really the major fix for this team when it comes to their run defense. And in the first half, or actually in the first three quarters, really, they, they looked like they were going to be fine in the ground game, and then Jonathan Taylor got going. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately when you look at who the corners were on this team this last Sunday, uh, I would have never thought that we would have held the Colts to 27 points. I know that's like a low bar. Um, but when Vernon Hargraves and Philip Gaines are out there taking a majority of the snaps, it's, it's pretty interesting to know that we were able to do what we did on Sunday. Yeah, it's T.Y. Hilton. He, he got off to a hot start. I think he had 100 yards in the half. First half, yeah. But the second half, he, he it was almost like shut out, and it was really it was great to see that, um, you know, they weren't just gonna kind of concede to him. They weren't just gonna be like, oh yeah, you know what? It's another T.Y. Hilton game. He's gonna put up 300 yards on us. 
they they clamped down. They made more plays in the trenches, and, and that allowed the coverage to not have to hold up for that long. And, and that's what really allowed them to to slow down T. Y. Hilton. But yeah, I think, and we'll probably talk about this later with the questions and answers. I know I saw a question about it, but Vernon Hargraves and Philip Gaines. If that's what you're going to get from them, you know, every once in a while, like, okay, fine. Like, we'll take it. We'll take anything that we can possibly, possibly get from those two for sure. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and then uh, another guy that, you know, is starting to get the praises that he deserves, and it's a very clowny-esque conversation. But Charles Menehue is a guy that is, I feel like, starting to turn the corner. Um, he, he was way better in the run game this week. Uh, or in, in run defense than he has been in the past. Um, and then as a pass rusher, he's really starting to hone his skills. Um, and I think he's starting to realize, you know, h- how to use his his freak athletic ability because he does have that and his long arms uh, to be able to get off blocks. Um, he leads the team in, in quarterback hits and pressures. He's, he's really starting to turn a corner. It's going to be interesting to see how, he does with the new regime if we can get more out of him because I do think there's more potential there. I don't think he's reached his ceiling at all. And it's exciting to know that you have another guy to potentially start to wreck some havoc on that D-line opposite of J.J. Watt. Yeah, I think you're right. He had one of his better games versus the run, particularly. They were putting him – he got the start, and they put him in at 3-4 defensive end across from J.J. Watt. And the thing with that position is – is um, when you're the 3-4 defensive end across from J.J. Watt, you're, you're going to have to take on double teams because you know J.J. Watt's not going to take on double teams. That's how they scheme it up. And with Charles, he's not as great versus double teams, but when he got his shots versus single blocks, he stacked and he shedded it and, and he did well and he played his gap well. So I'm with you on that. And then, yeah, his pass rushing, that's always been kind of his his calling card since his rookie season. His ability to collapse the pocket using his length, like you, like you said, like it's a very valuable trait to have because – like we saw versus the Forrest Buckner, like if you can have this freak athletic interior defensive lineman, like they will wreck your offense. And unless you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson who can just avoid him. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to continue to see the growth of Charles Omenahu. It's great that he has a, a leader, a mentor like J.J. Watt that he can learn from. And hopefully he's taken him under his ring wing. I'm pretty sure he has. And yeah, we'll continue to see growth from Charles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another interesting thing to to see on Sunday was Ross looks as if he's getting a little bit more comfortable as well. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see. He doesn't play a ton, but when he does, there's still there's there's something there that makes me excited to see what he can do in the future. And and really, honestly, just with more snaps, I mean, he should be getting 85 to 90 percent of the snaps, no matter what, at this point in the season. Maybe he will now that the playoffs are out of the picture, but um, what have you seen from Ross over the last two to three weeks? Yeah, I haven't really focused on him too much, but um, he should definitely be taking all of Carlos Watkins' snaps. Watkins has been playing around 50 to 60% of the snaps, and yeah, we got to see what we got with Blacklock. And with interior defensive linemen, they usually they usually take a year, unless they're one of the freaks that get drafted in the in the top 10. But they take some time to to develop, and especially with their reads. And that's the that's the major thing I've noticed with Blacklock is is he doesn't play up to game speed that he needs to be right now. It looks like he like doesn't have as much juice. And it's not that he's not an athletic dude; he's a very athletic defensive tackle. But as a defensive lineman, you're reading the offensive lineman in front of you. And when you're kind of newer at this NFL level, it's going to take you just that split extra second to read what is happening in front of you. And sometimes that can take an entire season to develop. And so I think that's what we're seeing right now with Ross. And, and that should come with time. That should improve with time that he'll be able to make these reads faster. He'll be able to shoot gaps faster and he'll be able to play faster. And that's what's really going to help him right now. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, all right. And then in regards to the rest of the defense, I'm trying to think there's somebody else I wanted to mention and I, and I, I totally, it totally slipped my mind. Jay Reed and Zach are, are getting back to, to the Yeah, team. Jay Reed and Zach, that's it. Jay, Jay Reed specifically. Um, and, and Lonnie, even though Lonnie, I put the tweet out, and, and I didn't focus in on him on the All-22, but he looked a lot more comfortable on, when watching the game live on Sunday. He still had some some errors that he's he's going to have. But are you seeing progression from Lonnie? Because 
on Sunday, at least on the live broadcast, he looked to be a little bit more fluid, seemed to have a little bit more understanding of his responsibilities and his role. Um, did you see anything on the All-22 uh, in regards to, to Lonnie? Yeah, there was one play in particular. Um, like you, I haven't, I haven't really focused on him that much, but there was one play in particular that kind of speaks to his role. Um, I think they've been they've been trying to teach him safety and and try and hide him at safety as a single high for most of the season. Um, but he got some more snaps in the box this game, and there was one play in particular where we were running kind of this invert defense where. Lonnie Johnson came down from the top. He worked in the box, and Tyrell Adams actually went and played the single high safety. It was it was this weird blitz, and I liked the creativity out of it. And it was actually, I think, the AJ Moore sack. Mm. Um, but on that play, Lonnie Johnson he's manned up against a, a tight end, and you see the hips of Lonnie Johnson. You see the fluid hips that he's been working on all off season. He looks like a damn cornerback on that one play. He's flipping left and right, and the the tight end he runs like a, a curl route at the sticks and Lonnie swaps right on a dime with him and so I think that natural athletic ability you know it's still there I think a better role for him honestly is is that man guy on on tight ends that we kind of imagined for him later or sorry last season I haven't watched a whole lot about his his reads improving as a single high but I think that could be the best role for him going forward yeah. Do you think, just prediction, do you think that he stays at safety when the new regime comes, or do you think that he ends up going back to cornerback? I think he goes, I think he stays at safety just because it, most NFL coaches know that you can't be flipping guys around like this so often. You can't go from cornerback to safety one year, then back to cornerback. It's just, it's very hard to stunt their development. Now, the one scenario where I do see it being possible is with Robert Sala. Robert Sala, he loves his cover three scheme from the Seahawks. Yep. They love their big, long, tall cornerbacks, and Lonnie fits that to a T. And so if he if he gets his hand on him, he sees him practice, he's like, you know what, let's try him out at cornerback one day. I, I can very I can see that as a possibility. Yeah, and he also fits from a length perspective exactly what Sala looks for in a corner. So um it's gonna be interesting to see. I think they put him back at corner. I, I, I do think that, you know, a head coach is gonna come in and think we need to maybe keep him at safety, but I also think they're going to look at his rookie year and see that he played so much corner that there's a good chance he can go right back to it, and that's where they keep him. I'm hoping for his sake that's the case. I also think a lot of it's going to have to do with the personnel and, and the, the needs of the roster specifically. You know, It's going to be very hard to fill that cornerback room with talent, and your best opportunity to do so would be putting Lonnie back at cornerback. At, at so um, it'll be interesting to see. All right, let's get to some of the news of the week. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with PEDs, or do you want to start with the committee? Uh, let's start with the committee. Let's start with the committee. Okay. Were you in Slack at all today? I just checked it at the end, but I haven't. I've seen that there's like a million messages in the general, but I haven't. I haven't read it. Okay, now. so maybe while I start talking about the committee, you can scroll through the general Slack and see who I spoke to today, and then we can get more into the um, the details around the committee. So it was uh, announced on Monday with two season ticket holders uh, that uh, Cal McNair put together a committee of uh, R.C. Buford, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Dungy, and Andre Johnson as the committee that is going to help lead and find the next head coach and general manager for the Houston Texans. Um, they also are uh, working with Cone Ferry, who is a, they are a consultant group uh, led by Ted Hughes uh, or Jed Hughes um, that would be playing a part in finding and compiling the lists and looking for the best uh, head coach candidates and general manager candidates um, for the 2021 season. So it's very interesting uh, that that came out today. And once it did, I, I did my little sleuth detective work and started to send some emails and got a response back and then got a phone call. And I, I will leave the person's name out of, out of you know, who I spoke to. Um, but I will leave you with this. And this is what I was told. Uh, the main question he asked, or he answered, I said, what is the main thing that you and the committee and the organization is looking for in the next head coach and general manager? And his response was to maximize 
who Deshaun Watson is and what he means to this team. That's, so that's great. That's exactly what we want to hear. That's all we want to hear. Uh, ultimately, that's that's really the only thing we want to hear. But what were your thoughts on the committee? Um, and, you know, and just kind of their approach. You know, it's like a committee to a committee because they already had a consultant group that they were gonna, you know, lean on to, uh, you know, lead the search. Now they're they're adding outside voices, which to me uh, is a very telling thing. You know, there's been no talks of Jack Easterby. Um, from what I understand, when I spoke to this gentleman, he's never even met Jack Easterby, uh, and he is not involved in any form or fashion. Um, I think I, I like it. I think it's great. I think this is exactly where, uh, they should be going. And I'm glad that they went outside the box. They didn't go with the traditional, you know, a lot of people are trying to find a way to bash the Texans. So I've seen, you know, other media today when the committee came out and even local media be like, Oh, wow. You have to have a committee to a committee. And then the other teams that are looking for a head coach are leaning on their organization to find it. I actually like the outside of the box because it gives you another perspective. It gives you another idea. Uh, you're not closed-minded and you're kind of open to everything. And it means to me that they're going to cast a wide net instead of honing in on their one guy that they believe is the right guy. It, it's more about finding the right guy to me. And it seems that's the approach that they're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and first of all, I want to say, God damn, that, that must have been a hell of an interview. It must have been sweating balls. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't an interview, but yeah, totally. Like a phone call, phone call. I yeah. was like, I was like, oh my god, what? Like, I, 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 I. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, That's but he can't come on the show. But but either way, it's cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely am all for the committee. I think there's, like you said, a, a great benefits of getting a fresh perspective and having more voices, more smart, educated voices in Cal's ear, the better. The less that he has to hear from Joe Easterby, the better. And the thing is, it's not just some committee that they put together. It's not some five. It's not like it's not even just us that he's like talking to, right? It's five, four, five very successful people at what they do. And you've got different kind of skill sets or perspectives that they bring to the table. You got former players. You got Andre Johnson, who and, and Jimmy Johnson played, um, and they know what players are going to want to look for in a head coach. They know what qualities those guys are going to want. And you also got Tony Dungy, who who is a Super Bowl-winning head coach. So he knows what it takes to coach. And they, they're all successful. They're all winners. So And then I also like the R.C. Buford one where he's a GM Love himself. It. So he, he knows, like, and GMs, like, people talk about, like, oh, yeah, the Texans should go hire Daryl Morey. And so, like, that connection, even though it is a different sport, like, they're still – very smart people who know how to run an organization from roster standpoint, salary cap standpoint. So I think getting all those different types of perspectives is definitely, definitely going to be beneficial for the, for us. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I think the fact that they're thinking more about Deshaun and how they're, you know, we've all gone back and forth. What's best offensive minded, defensive minded, where, where do we go? And, and when Rivers put out the article last week, last yeah, last Monday or last Wednesday, just talking about what he was looking for. He made such great points in the sense of what we sh- what we do best. And what we do best is Deshaun Watson. And if that's what you do best, then that's what you, you, you hit your wagon to. You want to maximize who Deshaun Watson is because ultimately this team is going to be in every game because of Deshaun Watson. So if you can find a way to maximize his talents and make him even better – you do it. And to me, that's it's exactly how they should approach this. That's exactly what they should be doing. They should be looking for a way to make Deshaun better and surround him with talent. And, you know, I, I, we, we just put that article out about, you know, all Deshaun Watson needs is, is Phil Jackson. And it's very important. This hire is super crucial for tons of reasons. But really, the biggest reason is the fact that Deshaun Watson's not going to deal with losing for much longer. That's not who he is. That's not what's in his DNA. That's not who he is as a person. He's a winner. And it's one of the characteristics that they did overlook it when they were dra- when people were drafting a quarterback in 2017. They didn't look at his winning. They, they looked at all of the other attributes that, you know, GMs and draft analysts look at when it comes to a quarterback. And um, I really think that this hire is, is really the most crucial hire that this team has ever had because they've never had the pieces in place to be able to go out and make sure that they get the right guy to be able to 
establish a winning culture and, 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 and surround Deshaun with the type of organization he needs to feel comfortable uh, in to want to be here forever. And that's ultimately what we want to see and should see. And it sounds like that's the path they're going on. And that's what makes me feel a hundred times better about the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've seen some people say like, oh, don't don't get too excited. Yeah, don't celebrate yet. Like they still haven't made the hire. You still don't know who they're going to hire. And screw that. (laughs) Screw that. I'm going to get excited over the Texans finally doing something right. After this entire year with everything that has gone horribly, they're finally, it seems like they're going in the right direction. They're making the right moves. And and every little win, yeah, I'll celebrate every little win because we're so used to this franchise doing everything the wrong way. And this is finally something that should have us, should steer the ship in the right direction at least. And and I'm so excited for this offseason, so excited just to just to speculate what's going to happen, just to finally see what's going to happen, how all the pieces are going to work together, and, and we'll get back on the on the winning train. Yeah, and, and and to be honest, Jordan, do you think that with Deshaun at quarterback that this is a full rebuild? No, I really don't. I think this how this season has gone, how many games have been one-score games where we've been close, and, and these two, I don't want to say fluky, but a little fluky losses to the Colts and to the Titans. I think someone said like Vikings. we're – And the Vikings, and, and honestly, so many games. Like the Browns game was a one-score game. It was a weird game. We should have won that. The Steelers, we were up at half. Like yep. uh, that, we fell apart. There was a lot of winnable, winnable games, and it's it's tough for – a team to consistently win one score games. We were great at it last year, but this year a lot of things have to go right. And some of these big plays that happen, big momentum plays, um, if they don't go your way, that that's all it can take. It can take one game, one play to sway a game. Um, but yeah, with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, you know, it's not going to be a full rebuild. It's not going to be a three to five year rebuild like someone like the Jets, like someone like the Jaguars. They haven't found their quarterback yet. Yeah, they're in line for a Justin Fields, a Trevor Lawrence, but they're still unknowns. How many number one quarterbacks, number two quarterbacks recently have just not really panned out? Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, I'm sure there's others, but those are the two first that come to my mind. And so even that is not a as guaranteed as a Deshaun Watson. And so in my opinion, on the very optimistic spectrum of it, we can be a playoff team next year. But I think being very, very realistic in two years that's really when we can can get into that contention and, and have a very, very strong team built around Deshaun Watson. I think, um, you know, recently we saw what the Colts did when they hired um, Frank Reich. You know, they, they, they didn't have a great season. Andrew Luck was coming back from injury. Their defense was awful. They had no players on offense or on defense whatsoever. And they, they really needed to retool it. But even in that first season, they were a playoff team. And they beat us. And it makes me think that with Deshaun, we're in a very similar situation. When you have that quarterback, you should make the playoffs. So I think that's a realistic um, approach to the season because you, you, you have a top three quarterback on, you know, on your team. Um, and so I, I agree. I don't think it's going to be a full rebuild. I, I, I think it should be something that, you know, yeah, next year there, we shouldn't be contenders, but I think the year after that, two years after that, we should be consistent contenders at that point. Um all right, and let's get to the PEDs. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it is a very interesting story. So former Texans cornerback uh, and now Denver Broncos cornerback A.J. Bouye was suspended for PEDs. Uh, um, he His story is extremely similar to Bradley Roby and Will Fuller's. Uh, they are going to court over this, as it seems that there has been an issue where um, basically the – it sounds like they're telling the truth that they trusted a guy to give them something that was supposed to help uh, that was not on the illegal substance list. And it turns out it was. Uh, and we don't know if that guy was employed by a organization. We don't know who the guy is exactly. We also don't know what the substance is. Um, but the fact that they're going to court is very telling to me. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds because if over the off season, you know, it comes out that Will Fuller, Bradley Roby, and A.J. Bouye are, are not at fault. You have to wonder what that does to Will Fuller's potential free agency. Because, you know, a lot of people have talked about trust and things of that nature and all that other stuff. But if if, if ideally he was doing the right thing and uh, he it just it, there was an issue and it was wrong, 
and he was given the wrong information. You have to wonder what impact that'll have on him on free agency, and will the Texans be able to franchise him or assign him to a long-term deal? Uh, also, this suspension of one game next year, too. So uh, it's just interesting. Any thoughts on the PED stuff? Yeah, I think definitely if, if like, the situation you're saying is right and if they get it resolved in court, I think, number one, you have to get rid of that one-game suspension. I think, number two, it's, it's like, yeah, talking about it from, like, a real, like, person personal perspective on this player, like, they're people too, right? And you you're, you you could have just hurt Will Fuller of, of millions of dollars for having him miss that end of the season because especially with his with his situation, like, people don't believe in his ability to play a full season. And so with the suspension, it's, it's really hurt that. And Texans specifically, like, I think it, it raises his price. It really does um, because they – they really have that that trust with him, you know that trust, like you said, like it's it's still gonna be there. They don't feel like he he's wronged them in any way, like the culture wise, like so. I think um, I think it definitely gives Will Fuller more leverage on his situation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, question and answers, everybody's favorite segment with AKA Texans <laughs> underscore thoughts slash Jordan. That's me. All right. You guys can always ask me questions on Twitter. Usually send another tweet before the podcast. Love interacting with y'all. All right. First one, Martin Marikin, Mero Queen. I don't know if I'm ever pronouncing his last name. I never right. pronounce it right. <laughs> I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I'm so bad with names, but he's got a great question. And he says, Who is the best available free safety in the draft slash free agency that the Texans could actually, and he capitalizes, actually add? And if you could have any – okay, we'll get to the second part of the question later. But first part of the question, best uh, free safety in the draft or free agency that are basically realistic options for, for us. Who do you think? So, so I haven't looked a ton at the draft. The only name I'm familiar with in film I've watched is Andre Cisco. Um, I do think that he would fit a need. Uh, you know, our guy Cali uh, underscore VX hit us up and, and showed us his draft um, with, on the draft network, and uh, he was a part of that. Um, you know, he gives you the ability to, you know, play him in single high, uh, lets Justin kind of play back in that box uh, role that he's very, you know, very good at. And we need to, I guess, stop thinking that Justin Reed's going to play single high and we should give him a role that he's going to thrive in and let him be that safety. Uh, so Andre Cisco is a, is a name that I would watch for. He should be there when, when we're picking in the third round. Outside of that, I'm not going to sit here and try to lie to you guys and tell you that I've watched a ton of college films so far this year. Um, I really haven't. And as far as free agents, I'm not too familiar with who the free agent safeties are. All right. Awesome. We, we always love honesty. And um, for I'll just throw out some other draft names just for you guys if you want to go check them out. Um, for safeties, uh, for free safeties in particular, Hamza Nazaruddin, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He's from FSU. Go check him out. He's like a free. He's like 6'4", 215. He's crazy, and he plays single high for them. Um, who else? Trevon Morig out of TCU, Ardarius Washington out of TCU, Paris Ford out of Pittsburgh. Those are kind of my top options for those safeties who, you know, a free safety like that, it's it's going to be very valuable, especially if we do bring in a guy like Robert Sala, who in that cover three scheme, the free safety, it's, it's everything. It's the most valuable position in that scheme. So um, I, I get where Martin's coming from. And then free agents, the free agent class for safeties, you've got your studs. And then that's about it for free safeties. You've got your Justin Simmons and your Anthony Harris. Those guys are two of the best free safeties in the game, but I don't believe realistically we're gonna we're gonna be able to get them. Um, but his second part of the question is says if you could have any free safety in the league currently or in the upcoming draft, who would it be? I think for me, if I could like steal someone off of any any team, it would be Justin Simmons actually. The dude is is probably the best free safety um, in the league. He's like another Earl Thomas. He's crazy. Um, I wish he wasn't going to be out of our price range. I think he's going to come back to Denver because he loves it there. But yeah, I think it would be it would be Justin Simmons for me. All right, let's move on to the next question. We have from Texans Canada. Hey, little Canadian. Okay, love to see it. Love to see it. Uh, he asks. Is the D-line the priority for a position group rebuilt over the secondary, especially if J.J. Watt leaves? So is that your is that your number one priority for the defense, James? I'm a cornerback guy. Um, always been a cornerback guy. That's, that's my thing. Um, I really think it's important to get that secondary right. I think if I had to prioritize any position group on the defense, it would be cornerback. 
you can manufacture a pass rush with average pass rushers and an average D-line. You can also stop the run or at least be average at stopping the run with an average D-line if you have the right scheme and coaching. Quarterback is just an, uh, another class of athletes that you you can coach and you can scheme, but it only can go so far. Um, and I, I really think that they, they need to look at retooling that, that secondary group. It's going to be important. It's going to play a, a, a massive role moving forward. I don't know if Gary Conley is the answer anymore. I know I was extremely high on him, and I really was excited to see what he could potentially do this season. I, I really thought that he was going to have a massive impact, and I, I, I still think that if he would have been on this team, there would have been some differences. Um, but, you know, Pat, you know, I see Pat Peterson as a free agent. Pat Pete was my favorite corner three years ago. I haven't seen a lot of Pat Pete film that I would say this season is making me want to go pay him what another team would likely pay him. But um, I would focus on the secondary. I, th- I think it's probably the most important piece on defense. You have your linebackers pretty much set up, whether it's with BMAC or without. Charles Amenehue is, is turning into something. We don't know what we have in Ross. You know, they say J.J. is going to be traded. You know, I, I don't know if J.J. is going to be traded. I, yeah, I, I don't think he will be. I, I think he's going to be here. I, I, I think – he knows internally that it's really not a rebuild and that he could win here. And I think that means more to him winning here than it would if he went somewhere else to win. And so if you have those three guys, you know, you can, you can draft somebody to help and uh, build some depth. And I think with the corners, you're just going to have to really just add three, four, maybe five corners. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, there's no, there's no wrong way. There's no correct way to build a defense. It really comes down to what your head coach wants and wants to implement. Um, if we go a Robert Sala, a Matt Eberflus route where their guy, they're kind of more zone heavy, they don't blitz as much and they rely on their front four to get pressure. Then in my opinion, we, we should go retool the defensive line. That'd be number one priority, but we could go in a different direction. And, um, to speak to your point, Kind of, I think free agency is the way is where you're you're going to get the most value with cornerbacks, and then with the draft is where you can get the most value with defensive line. So that would be kind of my my uh, my route. All right, next one, Grayson Holmberg. He says, any chance we see Chad back in the starting lineup? And you think Reed or Armstrong or Crossan will see starting time with how awful Gaines and Hargraves is? Oh man, he's got three questions here, so we'll get to those ones later. But basically. Chad Hansen, he's going to be starting again. And yep. what about the other cornerbacks? Yeah, I do think Chad Hansen will start. Um, and I don't see any reason for him not to. I don't think Cobb's coming back this week. If so, we would have activated him either today or it would be tomorrow. Um, so Hansen will be playing. I, As far as cornerbacks, look, I'd like to see Armstrong. I'd like to see Crossan, not because I think that they're like cornerstones or players that you could potentially build on, but just because it's a different type of cornerback than what we've seen with Hargraves and Philip Gaines. Um, but we won't. We haven't seen John Reed enough. Uh, there's no reason for us to think that that's going to change all of a sudden. Now, maybe it will because, you know, even though we're not out of the playoffs, um, the likelihood of us making the playoffs seems to be not realistic. And I would hope that they start to go with a younger movement as far as these guys, but there's no reason for us to think that there's going to be any changes. And not that Cornell Armstrong or Keon Crossan are, are younger, but John Reed specifically, we do need to see what he has. He does need to get snaps because he can build off that in the off season uh, and come back better next year. But I don't expect to see any changes in the secondary. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Like you said, like they've shown us no reason to believe in, in change at this point. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen last week. If it was going to happen two weeks ago, it was going to happen three weeks ago, but it hasn't. And so I don't magically expect something like that to change. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you, Chad. should be back. Hopefully you can build on the chemistry you showed with Deshaun Watson. All right, next question from Grayson. Do you like the potential of Lonnie and Justin as a future safety? So I'll just talk about that real quick. I I think it's definitely something that they both, they're both athletes. And when you're athletes like that, you can coach them up and you can you can really um, improve their play at the safety position. And, and I think they're both smart players, and that's what you need from safety. So I do like the potential of them. But I don't like them so much to the point where I wouldn't be willing to go out and get a stud safety, if that makes sense. Um, last question, what do you think about Wayne Gallman? I think he's the running back for the Giants. I, I'm assuming he means he's a free agent and, and maybe he could be a pickup. I I personally 
have not seen Wayne Gallman since Clemson, but I did like his Clemson tape, so maybe he could be a cheap running back we add in free agency. All right, next one from Mike Marzula, and he says, if Hanson becomes a solid wide receiver, what do you see the wide receiver corpse looking like next year? And so I guess you kind of asked me this question already is, can Hanson be that guy where if we don't bring back Fuller, Hanson, QT, Cobb, Coulter, Cooks, that's not a bad wide receiver corpse whatsoever. It's not like top 10, but it's like a good maybe half of the league. And I think Deshaun, like you said, like it doesn't matter who's out there. Um, we're going to be all right. And so I, I would definitely be all for Hanson coming back. Um, okay, I'll ask you this one. <laughs> Perfect. Actually, I didn't even plan this, but how impressed? Sorry, this one's from Barry Allen. But how impressed have you been with Kahale wearing so far? Super impressed. Uh, he looks very engaged um, in, in all six of his snaps this season. Um, you know, when when I think of an athletic water polo tight end, I think of Kahale wearing. Um, it's what I go to bed dreaming about. It's what I wake up thinking about. It's really what gets me through my day. Is that we invested a third round pick in a guy who played football for about a year and a half. Um, played at San Diego State of all places with no talent and against bottom-tier com- competition. And he's really putting it together, though. He's proven us all wrong. And, um, you know, what he's been able to do, it, it's really it's, – it's amazing. He, he's, he's taken his helmet off. He's put it on the, on the bench. He's put it back on. He's held it. He's, he's worn it a couple times. He's walked in and out of the tunnel. Uh, he's been a big part of the locker room as far as staying in there uh, longer than he should because he has no reason to rush out. Um, and, you know, I think the sky's the limit with Kahali when it comes to clipboard holding and, and potentially cheering on his teammates because uh, he's, he's, he seems to be doing really good at those things, and I don't think there's any reason to change his role. Oh, yeah. Bench warmer of the year. Most valuable bench warmer for sure. Cool. Definitely. Um, all right. And then second part of Barry's question is he didn't get to watch the game this past week because it was back. It was blacked out. Um, but what changed for our defense between the first and the second half? How did they shut him out? And I kind of, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but it's basically they were just playing early downs better. They were creating those negative plays, got them in third and longs, and and that's what really slowed down that Colts offense because they're not an offense that can deal with with um, seconds and third and longs. They're not good off script like that. Um, so if we can create more of those those negative plays, and, and those negative plays really came from the trenches. And so that's why I kind of believe more in the trenches mentality that you, you build. You win and you lose your games in the trenches. And if we can get another stud or two like that who makes big plays, makes tackles for losses on first, second down, gets you sacks on third downs, like that's a winning formula on defense for me. Yeah, I also think the fact that the Colts didn't run a lot in the first half is, is uh, you know somewhat eye-opening to me because – you would think that they'd come in ready to pound the rock, but there wasn't a lot of that. And maybe it's because they were the Texans defense was was showing up on on rundowns, but uh, or run plays. But um, I still would have kept running the ball. But that, that's just me. Yeah, that was a that was a little weird. I know their the run game hasn't been as strong as, as in your past. Their offensive line is is taking a little bit of a step back. So maybe that's what it is. But they should have definitely known based off the opponent what they should be attacking. All right, last question here from Please Hire Robert Sala. Um, and he says, I'm starting to lean towards Robert Sala. Wow, what do you know? Do you think Deshaun still needs an offensive-minded head coach after what he's done the past few weeks? And, you know, I, I, you've already kind of already answered this. Um, it's, it's all about getting better at what we already do great. And if we can do that, then it's going to make losing games a lot harder because if you have such an, an insane offense with Deshaun Watson where you're going to put up 40, 40, maybe 40 points a game, your defense – it's just gotta, it's just gotta hang in there, man. It's just gotta not give up forty, right? So I think, um, you know, it, at the end of the day, we have Deshaun, we want to keep him happy, and we want to make him as good as possible. And I think that an offensive coach definitely would would help with that. What are your thoughts? What does Dell do great? They build computers. So what they do, they continue to build computers. You know, what did Apple do? They did the same thing. What did Amazon do? It, it, it's it's a business model that, that shows a ton of success just in, in around the world. I mean, when you do something well, you double down on that, and you you try to maximize what you can, and you try to monopolize on the market. And, and with Deshaun and all the talent he has, it's not about needing an offensive-minded head coach. It, it has nothing to do with need. It, it's more about 
building on what you already are extremely good at. It's it's the only known about this team. There's no other known. There's there's no other known on this team whatsoever. You don't know anything about the offensive line except for the tackles. Sure, Tyrell Adams and Zach Cunningham have been great, but Zach has had down, down games this year. I mean, bad games. Uh, in, in a year where you got signed to a massive contract. You know, Tyrell Adams, he's been great, but he's also had moments where he's, you know, not necessarily been amazing either. And so, you know, you look at the cornerback room, nothing special there. Uh, safety room. We love Reed, but he's definitely been in and out this season as well. So you just look at this team, the wide receiving core, nothing there. Running backs, nothing there. The only thing you have is Deshaun Watson. So you definitely build on that and you maximize his talent. That That's what you do. But he doesn't need it. You just want to make sure that you double down on who he is as a quarterback and how he can make your team better. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's it for the questions. Appreciate you all, y'all. Um, always love interacting with y'all. And, and more questions next week. And Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that's our show this week. Uh, appreciate you guys. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe button. Make sure you guys go follow uh, Texans Thoughts on YouTube as well. He's always doing film breakdowns and providing you guys with great Texans content. Uh, he is the new Brett Coleman. Uh, I'm going to say it. He is. He is. I think he's better than Brett Coleman, but that's just me. Uh, but uh, that that's who I am. Uh, make sure you guys go follow us on Twitter as well at Houston FP pod guy. You can follow Jordan at Texans underscore thoughts. Follow Patrick at Patrick storm TU. follow John at John a Wade three. And you can follow Jair at Jair sports TU. you. Uh, make sure you guys go to the website. I, me and Jordan and John just put up an article about how Deshaun needs to find and needs his Phil Jackson to be the Michael Jordan that he was compared to. Um, that was posted earlier. And make sure you guys go to manscaped.com. Use promo code Texans if you guys want to get the Weed Whacker 3.0. Take care of all the undergarment stuff that you need to take care of to keep your lady happy or your man happy. Either way, however you live your life, that is totally cool with us. And uh, with that being said, I'm James signing off for up. Oh, I got a question for my main man, James. What kind of socks do you wear? Um, I wear crew socks, but I only wear Nike socks. Is that the right answer? Because that's all I wear. Is that bougie? I'm bougie. I wear Walmart socks, whatever cheap ones I can find. (laughs) Oh, man, you have to have comfort. That's true. I don't know. All socks kind of feel the same to me. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Underwear. You only had Walmart socks your entire life? Pretty much, yeah. Maybe that's why. Maybe I just don't know. We got to get you some socks. (laughs) Got to get you some stance socks or some... some, uh, some Nike socks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it changes the game. It definitely makes the shoes a little bit more comfortable. You get a little bit extra cotton and, and padding, and it, it can it can go a long way. So, yeah. Interesting. But thanks for the question, uh, Lois Boy. I appreciate it. I'm glad I can answer it before we left the stream. But signing off for Texans Unfiltered, I'm James. That's Jordan. We'll catch you guys next week. I hope you guys enjoy the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts or and Houston Texans this week. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>